Today we are uh, finishing up this uh, little end of year mini series that we started called Are We There Yet? And fittingly, the, it is the final day of the year. Uh, so literally, if you're asking, are we there yet? Yes, we're about 13 hours away. We're, we're going to be there. We're going to be there. And this has been a short little series, but I've heard some really good uh, feedback from several people just giving testimonies, the, uh, just different things that the Lord has just been speaking to you in this, and it's been really impactful for you. So that's a blessing. We've looked at several figures in Scripture that kind of uh, revolve around that Christmas story. We've looked at Mary. We looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth. Today, I want to look at two folks who enter this scene just after Jesus is born, named Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna. And these two folks aren't married. They, in fact, they probably didn't even know each other until the, the day that we're going to meet them today. But like the other folks that we looked at, these other characters, I, I, I promise, I think these two have so much to teach us uh, about the art of waiting and waiting well, I think more, more than maybe we guessed. And so I'm going to start with uh, Simeon. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on him because we have had conversations about Simeon in the past. Uh, but there's a couple of fresh things here. I think that'll make us uh, go, ah, that's interesting. Okay, so we're in the book, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, this is happening just days after Jesus is born, right? So, kind of like we just celebrated Christmas. The first Christmas has just happened. It says that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And a couple of verses after that, he goes on to prophesy directly to, to Mary and Joseph, the parents there. A couple of things that I like, I love about Simeon. Number one, I love that Simeon is not a priest in the temple, right? He's not a preacher. He's not like an important city official or anything like that. He's not there because that's like his duty, his job or anything. He's just this old man who it says is righteous before God. And he's walking around town. I could just picture him walking around town that day, watching the world go by. And he's doing what? It says that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. The word consolation is a word that means comfort or, or the com like coming to one's aid, like if you console somebody. So he's waiting. He's waiting. In fact, the, the Greek word there is the, is the Greek word paraclete. It's the same word used for the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside and consoles. All right. So, so he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And, and Simeon's not alone in his waiting. He's part of this faithful remnant of Israel. It's a group of people who had not given up 
on God or his promises, even though they were living in very, very dark times, difficult times. They're living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire rules them from afar, rules them with this iron fist. They're living under the corruption of religious leaders. So the Romans are bad enough, but then they have these corrupt religious leaders that had sort of compromised with the Romans, you know, so that the religious leaders could kind of stay in power. They had lost touch with the true spirit of the law. They were living under the oppression of the Herods. The Herods were these these sort of puppet kings the Romans put in place to kind of keep the peace. But these guys were actually violent and wicked and they were tyrants. And the people of that day were just living under the oppression of just day-to-day living, just the facts of, of life back then, injustice and sickness and poverty, violent suffering were just normal everyday things. So they, these people lived in a world that needed God's salvation more than ever. But Simeon, it says, has a huge secret. And he was given a very unusual promise by the Holy Spirit that he would not die and before seeing the Messiah. And so on this day, it says the Spirit moved on him to go to the temple. So he might just be kind of walking around town, and then he, the Spirit just says, go to the temple, go to the temple. Something's about to happen. And he goes to the courts, and when the baby Jesus and the, and the parents come into the temple, he recognizes the Messiah right there in the flesh, the Messiah that all of Israel had been waiting on for a thousand years. They've been waiting. And his first words to kind of paraphrase him, our God, you have kept your promise. I can die happy now. That's Simeon. You did it. Lord, I can die happy, right? I'm not, gonna, I'm not missing out on anything anymore. But Simeon's not alone in the courtyard on that particular day because there's another figure who is watching everything that is happening. A woman who's actually far older than even Simeon, and it's a widow named Anna. It says there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. Now, here's an interesting thing. Literally in the Greek, it says she's a widow of 84 years. And so a lot of scholars say, well, that could mean she's 84 years old, or it could mean she had been widowed for 84 years, which means even if she got married like at 14, you know, like they got married really young back then, it says that she was with her husband for seven years. So Anna could be up to 105 years old, right? This could be a very, very old lady, right? It says she never left the temple, but she worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So we're told actually a lot in this really short amount of space here. I want to spend some time talking about Anna today. Even though there's not many verses devoted to her, she's the one that really fascinates me here. She she is a straight-up boss for several reasons. First of all, of all the characters in the story of Jesus, she's the one who waited the longest. She is this model of of faithfulness and hope and patience. She waited the longest. Number two, it says she worships while she waits, right? Now, remember, 
Anna's never given Simeon's promise that she wouldn't. It doesn't say like the God told her, you won't die till you see the Messiah. So she's not given that promise. But it says that she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. That's just amazing to me. Just, this is someone, and we don't know literally if that means like she lived at the temple or she just every day, you know, she just went back. She just always came back to the temple every day to be there. She just wanted to be there. She's faithful. She's eager to be around whatever God is up to. I love that picture. Ah, I love this lady. Number three, it calls her a prophet, a prophetess, which that is a title given to very few women in Scripture. So this is a wonderful, this is awesome. It means that she was someone who was able to discern God's will and his plan and to communicate that with other people. A prophet was someone who had to tell other people what God was, was up to. Number four, it says, notice, uh, uh, let's see. There we are. Notice what her immediate reaction is. Immediately, she's ready to share the good news with other people. So now she's not just a prophet, she's an evangelist, right? How quickly her heart turns to praise God. It's like a reflex for her, right? Praise just flows out of her. Now, this is an interesting thing because we're, we're told the, the story in these short little verses of these two really beautiful people, Simeon and Anna. And remember Simeon, what's his reaction, right? He sees the Messiah and he's like, I can die now. He's prepared to die. Anna has a very different reaction to meeting Jesus. She's at least 84, maybe 105, who knows? And she does not want to die. She wants to evangelize. I love that about her. And just like the disciples who will follow her, she is driven to witness to what she has seen. In fact, Anna is the first woman in the Bible to go and proclaim the good news to the public. She is the first female evangelist here. The great 19th century scholar, uh, Alfred Plummer, he says this. He says, yes, the Messiah has arrived as Simeon recognizes, but as the prophetess Anna suggests, a new era with a new and living voice of prophecy has at the same time dawned. In this new era, the living voice of God will continue to speak about the Messianic one. Anna is the first in a line of prophetic disciples who will speak about Jesus to all who are looking for the redemption of Israel. I love that about Anna. There's another little detail here it mentioned. It says that she is from the tribe of Asher. Now, we could easily just kind of skip right past that because, like, it's, that's one of the tribes of Israel. Here's what's interesting. That's one of the lost tribes of Israel. If you remember back in the history of the nation, it had split in two. And 10 of the tribes in that northern kingdom, they got overrun, taken into exile. And they're considered the lost tribes of Israel because they're gone. Like to this day, there's no more of those tribes. Only two of the tribes in the southern portion were preserved and, you know, had their identity preserved. So she is from a tribe that according to most of the historians, like shouldn't even exist anymore. This lost tribe of Israel, which just shows us that God's promises continue, right? They're for all his people here. Asher is one of these 10 northern tribes. They were taken into exile by the Assyrians and they lost their identity. They lost their connection to the rest of Israel. So somehow she has preserved her family line. She knows where she's from. And that could have made her kind of a cynical person, a skeptical person or something like that, right? Oh, look what happened to all my people. 
But instead, she remains faithful to God, faithful to his promises. And she doesn't let, you know, her history of exile discourage her. But she uses that as an opportunity to witness to other people and to, to witness to God, to share his hope, his salvation. And she waits with expectation, knowing that God will fulfill his promises and, and restore his people. Here's, a, here's a number six. It says that she only had seven years with her husband before his passing. Now, he said, you know, girls back then got married very, very young. So it's possible, like, by the time she was 21, she was already a widow. And so here it is. She has lived in the temple as a widow ever since. And it says Anna, basically Anna was, was alone from every perspective except for God. No husband, no tribe. It doesn't mention any living family members. But God is in touch with her constantly. She walks with the Lord. She walks and talks with God, fasting and praying. It says she's always fasting and praying. And he leads her to, to be involved in what matters to him. And number seven, thing I love about Anna is her name, Anna, is the, the Latin version of the Hebrew name, Hannah. And anybody remember who Hannah was? The mother of Samuel right? She is named after another woman in scripture who waited for a child. And so Anna, it's like waiting well is in her DNA. Named after this other Anna, this Hannah. So we look at these, these two figures. We look at Simeon, we look at Anna, and they stand as these sort of bookends of these powerful prophetic voices. And Simeon experiences the Messiah, and he rejoices that all of God's past promises have finally been fulfilled. The past has come. And, and while Anna, on the other hand, she seems to have this glimpse of the future, and it's a future that's so bright, it's going to eclipse everything that those people in history were expecting. But both of these figures inspire us by their faith, they inspire us by their response. No matter what age we find ourselves here today, we're in a generation's church on an all-generation Sunday in a room filled with every generation. And whatever generation we're a part of, we can see these people. We can see them and their example that they set for us. If I had to distill uh, the, their example today into kind of a couple of a bite-sized nuggets to help us walk out of here and wait well, to wait faithfully, it would be this. Number one, and this is kids and adults alike, this coming year, spend time with God every day. Spend time with God every day. That's the picture we get from Simeon and Anna. These are two people who, they spend time with God. They spend time, they're, I could just imagine, they're walking around completely aware that God is with them. They're walking in the presence of God. Whether you're eight years old or 88 years old, Spend time with God. Ask him to speak to you and show you his ways, to lead you in his ways. I love, be someone like Anna who's like always just wants to be around. What, what's God up to? I don't know what God's up to, but I want to be there. I want to be right at the forefront of it. Worship him when he, when he shows up and worship him when you're waiting for him to show up. But spend time with him because there's no shortcut to that. Number two, be flexible with God's timing. That's a lesson we can definitely learn. 
Be flexible with his direction. Be flexible with his master plan. Be flexible. Don't be rigid when it comes to all the unknowns. We'd like to know all the unknowns, but we got to be flexible. We got to let God be God, right? Sometimes we need to allow for that. It's in, in charismatic, some charismatic circles, it's kind of a dirty word. And it's, it's the word sovereignty. We have to allow God to be sovereign. Let God be God and trust him with the uncertainties. Because if, 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 we, if we figure out how to do that well, we're going to enjoy the journey so much more. We're going to vastly enjoy the adventure that we're on. If we just trust him, trust that tomorrow, whatever tomorrow holds, God is there and he's leading us, right? We're going to enjoy the journey. We're going to enjoy the mystery before it is eventually we all go to heaven, right? We're, going to go to, we're all going to get there someday. Why not enjoy, enjoy the journey along the way? And trust in him along the way. Trust him to lead us. And then number three, share your reason for hope with other people. Don't keep it to yourself. The good news is too good to keep to yourself. And, and not only is it important, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's important to be in community while you're waiting because community can encourage you. But it's important to testify to other people when you're celebrating it. Like Anna, she wanted to get out there and tell people the good news. The world needs Annas who will go and tell the good news and not just sit on it. And what a great message. That what a great picture of someone who is way over 80 years old and they're ready to go share good news. That's someone who cares about the other generations, right? That's somebody. So, you know, whether if you're a young person here today, the world needs you. The church needs you, right? Share with your generation. Share with the older generations. And if you're an older generation, the younger generation needs you, right? Your time isn't done. We need you to share your wisdom and share the good news. We need each other at the table, right? And, so, and the world needs us. Before we close, I want to do something a little unusual because uh, I was kind of thinking about how to, how to do this. And it's, it's the last Sunday of the year. And there's only like, 12 of us in the room. No, not really, but it's a lighter crowd. We, 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 we expect that, right? I told you one time that the, the three least attended Sundays of the year are the Sunday after Thanksgiving, Father's Day, and the Sunday after Christmas, right? So good for you for being here today. Way to go. Um, but I want to do something that's a little different. We'll just have fun. Um, I want to read a passage out of a book that I've been reading has been such just this warm blessing for me. Uh, it just so happens to be that this section uh, from the book, it talks about these characters that we talked about today. And so we're just going to kind of light the fireplace and uh, Uncle Scott's going to pull out his pipe and do a little reading time here. Not really a fireplace, not really a pipe. Here we go. Here we go. This is a passage from a little book by Jonathan Martin called The Book of Waiting, and it's, it's his reflections on Advent and Christmas. I, it's, it's been a blessing to me this, this past December. But he says this. I'm just going to be about five minutes here, so just settle in. Here we go. He says, The child Jesus on that day had all the terror and adventure ahead of his wild baby eyes, Days far ahead of feeding multitudes and healing lepers and riding into Jerusalem and walking the death march to Golgotha, 
all the surprise and disappointment of undiscovered worlds. That was all ahead of him. But not so for old Simeon, a devout man who was known for his hope. What a thing to be known for. Simeon would not have been set apart visually for many of the old men you see it at the fast food restaurant when he was sitting and eating a sausage biscuit. But God had talked to him once and told him he wouldn't see death before he had seen God's chosen one. He carried that promise heavy the way Mary carried the baby. He carried belief always ahead of him, though most of his own adventures seemed to be in the rearview mirror now. But when Joseph and Mary brought young Jesus into the temple, he saw it. The way the writer feels when the perfect sentence seems to land as if from outer space. The way lovers recognize one another. The way you just know what you know because you know it. He knew Jesus was the one. He had never seen anything like this. And he knew after this, there was nothing else he needed to see. He held Jesus, the light to the nations in his hairy arms, like holding a song. He cradled the word laughing. I can die now, he thought. All the pain and yearning and expectation finally melts into laughter. A life so well lived, so complete, that everything inside him is ready to exit the party in peace without worrying that he's missing a thing. And here's Anna, the widow. She had buried her husband, had buried friends, neighbors, royals, multiple generations of small town gossip. Without ever losing her place at the temple, where she went every day to worship, fast, and pray. And he says, there are those rare souls who keep hope up when no one else does, who look ahead with eyes ablaze with future. As rich as it is to stumble into the mystery by surprise, God have mercy. How precious to dream it every night for 50 years and then one day finally get to hold it. To witness such hope, long contended for, housed in a person who has walked the trail at great risk and known grieving as well. Such tenacity always brings me to my knees in reverence. To hold on to hope that you have not yet seen after all this way, what other word is there for you but profit? And here I'll let Jonathan Martin's words be a benediction to us all as we close out this year. He said, here's to the hope you have held and the hope that has held you. And here's to the ones feeling older by the minute from the unbearable longing, still holding on to the promise you've never actually held in your arms. There is space here in the story for all of us, for all our longing and all our rejoice. Can we pray? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord. As we stand here, Lord, right on the cusp of a brand new year, Lord, we can't help but look back. We acknowledge your faithfulness in our lives, Lord God. You've taken us through highs. You've taken us through lows, surprises, and challenges, Lord God. And we're grateful. We're grateful for every step of the journey you've led us. Lord, for those among us today who are carrying the weight of 
unmet expectations and, and disappointments. Lord, grant us the strength to release those burdens as Miss Pat encouraged us. Release those burdens to you. May we find peace and hope in you, Lord God. The rock that never wavers. The kind of hope, Lord God, we see in the stories of Anna and Simeon. Thank you, Lord God, for the lessons that we've learned this year. Thank you for the ways that we have grown in our faith. Thank you for those, those times of unexpected grace, Lord God, that has just crashed into our lives. As we close this chapter, we thank you, Father God, for what's ahead. We trust in you. We step into a new year, Lord God, determined not to worry, for you have us in your hand. Lord God, I ask you to give us a fresh commitment to just burn brightly with your good news, Lord, and your love for other people. Every time we can get the chance, Lord God, may we represent you well, Lord God, in our world like never before. Give us a peace. Give us that laughter of Simeon, but give us the boldness, Lord God, and the fervor of Anna so that we can live our lives as living testimonies to your unwavering faithfulness, Lord God. Lord, may, may those here today, my friends who have known you all their lives, may they fall in love with you even more this year. And may those who have maybe till now been unsure about you, about saying yes to you, may they surrender completely to your love in this coming year. Lord, grant all of us your guidance and your wisdom and favor for whatever is up ahead, all the unknowns, we put them in your hands. May our waiting be marked with a deep trust in your perfect timing, Lord God. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you've allowed Generations Church to do this year. I thank you for what you're doing and what you will continue to do in the days to come at Generations, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful New Year's. Be blessed.